my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 327. And uh, I'm in a new location, a <laughs> different room. I, I changed the room around from a small office to a now recording studio dedicated to recording. And I think it's going to, I think it looks better, actually. I think the, the background is much better lit. If you're listening on iTunes, eh, go be the judge if you want on YouTube. It could be an interesting little exercise for you. Um, as I look at myself in the monitor, I look very tired. It is early Saturday morning, so um, I, I think give me some time. I'm gonna play with some stuff behind me, and I'm gonna. I'm still not used to my monitor is like really close to me. I'm used to my camera being really far back and my monitor being really far back. I think the camera. I try to make it look about the same. I'm about framed about the same in the shot. Um, but I'm still not quite comfortable with how close everything is. And so, uh, give me some time. And if the acoustics don't quite sound right, I'm still working on that as well. Give me time in a new space. I think long-term it's going to be much better. Uh, I know I have a better, cause here's the thing. And if anybody cares, I, I know I'm going to talk. Um, I spend most of my life watching football and writing about football and preparing the show. I spend very little time actually recording the podcast, like comp- in comparison, right? You know, I do about probably 10 hours of prep per episode, and I thought I should probably make the area I spend most of my time in prepping the show, watching football, writing, hanging out, uh, thinking about sports. That should be my most comfortable area. And so I made a move, and I I think it's going to work out pretty well, but we'll see how you know time goes on. I feel pretty good about it. A uh, little note for you. I'm putting my playoff predictions for the divisional round of the NFL playoffs at the end of this episode. Uh, I realize I'm recording very early on Saturday morning. And so you may be listening to this on Sunday or Saturday night. And guess what? By then, uh, at the minimum, two NFL games will have happened in the division around. So that way, if you want to skip it, you can. It's at the end of the show. Uh, it's a skippable, easy thing to move on from. I want to shift gears, though, real quick. Imagine you're driving your car. And in order to check your speed, you had to log into a program. Type in a password, log in. And then to check your fuel level, am I on empty? Am I on E? Am I on half a tank, quarter tank? You had to type in another password and use another program. And then your engine temperature, is my car overheating? I don't know. I got to use another password and another program. Log in, log out. That's ridiculous. It sounds really stupid to, to try to be driving your car. You're, you're operating your car. And to use different functions and check different things, you have to log in and log out of different software. Be ridiculous. You wouldn't drive your car that way. So why would you run your business that way? I'm proud to tell you this episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. They help you run your business more effectively by putting everything all in one area. And I want to start with a very honest statement. Uh, This product is not for everybody. It's not for startups. It's not for small businesses. Uh, This product is for companies that bring in $1 million dollars an annual revenue or more. Now, to be fully transparent, my, my company, Strong Opinion Sports, we are way, way, and we, it's just me, and I had hired my dad as my administrative assistant. We are way, 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 way too small uh, to take advantage of what NetSuite can offer. Like, we're a fraction of a fraction of what is required annual revenue to work with them. Uh, but if you are a CEO, and I know that some CEOs listen to or watch this podcast, I know that, in fact, even some owners of major sports franchises listen to this podcast. If you're one of those people, 
this product is for you. What NetSuite will do is help you more effectively manage your business by putting everything all in one dashboard. The same way you have everything on one dashboard for your car, you can run your business that way as well. Because once your company matures, you will outgrow QuickBooks. QuickBooks has limitations, and you don't need to pay for multiple systems that don't give you the information you need when you need it. You can have everything, all the information, all the analytics on your company instantaneously. You can walk away from old, outdated programs and spreadsheets. You can skip the nonsense. And if you upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle, you can have everything all in one place. Finances, e-commerce, inventory, supply chain, HR, everything. And again, all that information will come to you instantaneously, no waiting necessary. NetSuite wants me to tell you that you can join one of over 24,000 companies that take advantage and use their service uh, but look, I know that if you know what NetSuite is, if you're in the business world, you know NetSuite by Oracle is the best thing out there to help you run your business. Switch to them. They will make your life easier. And in case you're still not sure, you're like, hey, I don't know. I'm not sold yet, Zach. NetSuite can, and they will prove you their service is better. Go to NetSuite.com opinion, and you can get a free product tour. Let NetSuite show you how they'll benefit your business by going to NetSuite.com opinion for a free product tour. Again, schedule your free product tour at netsuite.com slash opinion. I want to now shift gears to the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jacksonville Jaguars hired Urban Meyer to be their next head coach. He most recently coached at Ohio State. Uh, He's also been a coach, uh, the head coach at Bowling Green, Florida, and the University of Utah. He won three national championships, two at Florida, one at Ohio State, And uh, by the way, Urban Meyer, I I didn't realize this when I looked at his coaching record. He's never had a losing season. He's had a winning season every single year he's coached in college football. Kind of impressive. Now, he has always been a college coach. More on that in a minute. Um, I do want to say first, though, I I think it's pretty likely and should be um, believed that the Jaguars are going to draft Trevor Lawrence to be their starting quarterback, the number and overall pick in the NFL draft in 2021. Uh, I know that Urban Meyer has a history with running quarterbacks, uh, and I know that he coached Tim Tebow, and a lot of people say, well, maybe Justin Fields is now in play. He likes a quarterback who can move. I understand that. Uh, But if you've ever heard Urban Meyer talk about Trevor Lawrence, you would understand. I think he holds the guy with a ton of regard. I think he believes Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback in the draft, and uh, I would be personally shocked if the Jaguars did not draft Trevor Lawrence. I think they're going to draft Trevor Lawrence number one overall. And they're going to build around him to restart the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, Urban Meyer has been out of coaching for a couple of years now. Uh, And he's kind of, we know he's been offered jobs behind the scenes. He hasn't taken them. And um, he's been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for the right opportunity. So why did Urban Meyer take the Jacksonville Jaguars job? I think partially he knows he can win. Now, another thing is I think the life of a college coach is much different than the life of an NFL coach. I don't know about you. Uh, I, this is an awful thing to say, but it's honest. I I would not want to coach 18 year olds and college kids. I'd rather deal with professionals. I think there's a lot of stuff that comes with dealing with college kids compared to dealing with professionals. You're paying them. There's a different expectation. There's no recruiting in the off season the same way you're still scouting. But I think, I think actually the off season is even harder for a college coach and again, I also truly believe that Urban Meyer believes he can win in Jacksonville. 
there's a lot of young talent with the Jaguars. I think a lot more than people realize or understand. They got a running back who's really young, James Robinson. They got two receivers, DJ Chark, LaVisca Chenault. Two edge rushers, Caleb Von Chasson, Josh Allen. Interior linebackers, Miles Jack, Joe Schobert. A corner, CJ Henderson. A lot of more, not more talent too. And I, I have always believed that Urban Meyer is really good at developing talent. That's what he's great at. He's great at developing talent and hiring coaches who can develop talent. And all those young players in Jacksonville, they just need to be developed. They're waiting to be pointed in the right direction. I think Urban Meyer is the kind of guy that could. I'm not going to guarantee he will succeed, but he could make it happen. Now, here's my concern about Urban Meyer. Um, and I, it's, it's honest. I think it's, it's fair to be concerned about this one thing. He's a college coach. He's always been a coach in college. And I'm, I'm actually sure he's probably eager to coach in the NFL. He can prove he can do it at a higher level. I think he's got to deal with a level of professionalism and expectations that are slightly different. Uh, your players are not taking college classes. There's a lot of, you have to say the right stuff, a lot of pressure to be the right way in college. In the NFL, you can be a lot more yourself. But in college, a coach has a ton of control, pretty much all the control over their college football program. They're like the God lording over their program. And in the NFL, what comes along with dealing with professional players is they also do not like being controlled. In college, you can really create a whole rubric and a whole game plan and control your players a lot more than you can in the NFL. You're dealing with professionals. They make money. They've got agency. And then also in the NFL, Urban Meyer is going to have to answer to a general manager and deal with an owner. Now, I think uh, Shahid Khan, Shad Khan, the owner of the Jaguars, probably is hiring Urban Meyer because he trusts him. I'm sure there's a relationship in place where he's going to hire him and let Urban Meyer do his thing. But you still got to collaborate with the general manager. You still got to collaborate with the owner. And really the only question I could possibly have from Urban Meyer, he's a good ball coach. I think he's a good dude. I think he knows a lot about the game. He's going to hire good people, give them time. I think it's pretty likely it's going to work. But the question is, can Urban Meyer resist being a control freak? Can he give up some of the control over the players and some of the control because he's got to answer to an owner and a general manager? That remains to be seen. But I think overall, a pretty good hire by the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I'm excited to watch what happens. Regardless of whether they win the Super Bowl or however it goes, Trevor Lawrence, Urban Meyer, some good young talent in Jacksonville. I, I, I'm going to watch. It'll be really fun. I, I, that's what I, I really love in football. I don't know that Joe Burrow is ever going to win a Super Bowl with the Cincinnati Bengals, but you know what? Joe Burrow on the Bengals, that's a good time. And I think it's very possible that I, I don't know whether the Jaguars, how far they can go together. Urban Meyer, presumably Trevor Lawrence. But man, it's going to be a good time. I'm excited to watch the transformation of that franchise. And I'm rooting for Jacksonville. I really am. I mean, I was watching a TV show the other day called The Good Place. Uh, I wasn't watching. My girlfriend was watching. But my girlfriend calls me down uh, to like listen to all the Jaguars jokes. And they're always talking about how the Jaguars are now, never going to win a Super Bowl. And, you know, they're they're supposedly in, uh, they're in hell. So like they are in, you die and you go to the bad place. And the only games they show on TV are the Jacksonville Jaguars because they're so bad. They're the butt of this joke by this TV show, The Good Place. Uh, it's got, oh my gosh, what's the guy's name? Uh, it's got Dak Shepard's wife. I forget her name. I'm so sorry. 
uh, great actress. My point is, though, the Jaguars are so bad. They're the butt of a joke. Like, this entire character in the TV show is built around the fact that he's from Florida and he's a miserable Jacksonville Jaguars fan. I would love to see the narrative change in Jacksonville and watch the Jaguars become no longer the butt of a joke from comedy TV shows. Uh, and I would love to see the Jacksonville Jaguars turn things around. Now, I want to talk about the Jets. The New York Jets have hired Robert Sala to be their next head coach. He was the defensive coordinator of the San Francisco 49ers. And uh, I think it's a great move. First of all, I think that Robert Sala, of all the coaches available this offseason to become head coaches, I, I think Robert Sala was the best guy available. So that's a great hire for the Jets. Um, I would even take Robert Sala over Urban Meyer. I know that's controversial. Urban Meyer is a college coach, uh, and Robert Sala is very, very well respected around the league. Listen to the way that Kyle Shanahan, the former uh, head coach of the, so not the former, his former head coach, the coach of the 49ers, the guy that Robert Sala used to work with in San Francisco, Kyle Shanahan talks really highly of him. Uh, Richard Sherman, an NFL veteran guy I really respect, loves Robert Sala. He would go to bat for Robert Sala in a heartbeat. And uh, I watched the 49ers at the end of the year. Remember, the 49ers were not in playoff contention. They were on their third-string quarterback. It was a mess. It was a nightmare. Things were spiraling out of control. Injuries were piling up. This year was a really tumultuous, terrible year for the San Francisco 49ers. And I watched them play Week 16 against the Cardinals. And, man, that defense competed their tails off. They held Kyler Murray to 12 points. And to get a team, a de really a defense motivated, when you're not in the playoff push, you got a third-string quarterback, you're playing a team, the Cardinals were fighting to get into the NFL playoffs, and <laughs> the 49ers defense showed up, they fought incredibly hard, they played their butts off, they won that game. And I that says a lot about Robert Sala, he got his guys ready to play and motivated to play. And what was almost a meaningless game, I mean, their job, they, they want to put good stuff on film, it does matter. But they were motivated to play for Robert Sala. That says a lot to me about him. Now, I'm not going to guarantee that Robert Sala is going to work in New York, uh, even though I like him. I, I love Robert Sala. I think he's a great hire. But Robert Sala is a defensive-minded coach. And we've seen a lot of defensive-minded coaches, or even better way to put it is really, we've seen great football teams that have good defenses, whether it's the Jacksonville Jaguars with Blake Bortles or the Chicago Bears with Mitchell Trubisky. We've seen really good teams with great defenses run into a wall and a ceiling where they couldn't get any farther because they didn't have a quarterback. Robert Sala does not coach quarterbacks, and I don't fault him for that. I think he's, he's going to do well. I believe in him. He reminds me a lot of Joe Judge in New York, actually the other New York coach where Joe Judge, I think, is the right coach for New York. Can he get, is Daniel Jones the right quarterback? Can they get the quarterback right? And whether it's Sam Darnold, whether the Jets draft a quarterback in the NFL draft, uh, they got to get their quarterback right and they got to get good quarterback play. Even with a great defense, that's not enough in the NFL. You got to figure out the quarterback. Now, the good news is that the reports are saying Mike LaFleur is coming along from San Francisco to the New York Jets. Uh, he was the 49ers passing game coordinator. He worked under Kyle Shanahan with the 49ers. He's also the brother of the Green Bay Packers head coach, Matt LaFleur. Mike LaFleur, the coach of the Jets, the offensive coordinator. Matt LaFleur, the Packers head coach. I would imagine based on working with Kyle Shanahan, based on his brother, I would imagine Mike LaFleur knows what he's doing. Uh, seems like a good hire. Time will tell. 
Um, and you were, you know, Kyle Shanahan runs the offense in San Francisco. There was, what I would imagine is that Mike LaFleur ran into a ceiling where he was no longer going to get promoted any farther. Seems like a great hire for the Jets. Um, I, I'm all in on Robert Sala. Although, even though I think he's a great coach, I think he's awesome. They got to get the quarterback right. If they get the quarterback right in New York. Oh my goodness. I'm very, very excited for the future of the New York Jets. And I, that's a crazy thing to say. How long has it been? Jets fans are weeping at home, holding each other, going, oh, please let this work. It's got to work. We need the quarterback. We need the coach. That's all they want so badly. And I think they got the right coach. I really believe in Robert Sala. Uh, the question is, can they figure out? I don't care who their quarterback is. They just need good quarterback play week to week for the New York Jets. Uh, let's talk about the NBA real quick. Then we'll take a break. and We'll do NFL predictions for the divisional round. The Brooklyn Nets traded for James Harden. And now uh, the Nets have a very messy big three. They got Kevin Durant. They got James Harden. Oh, and they got Kyrie Irving. <laughs> Kyrie, who's been sitting out and is a basket case. And I've heard some people say that it just, it says a lot about LeBron James, how LeBron James you know, look what he was able to do with Kyrie Irving. He got the best out of Kyrie Irving. And now, without LeBron, look where Kyrie Irving is. And that's not wrong. I mean, Kyrie Irving, without LeBron, has been a mess. And with LeBron, titles. I mean, they, they were great. Um, however, I would also say it appears to me that mentally and emotionally, Kyrie Irving has just evolved worse and worse and worse. And I, I'm i not taking a shot at the guy. I just I don't understand his decision-making at all. I everything he's been saying, the way he's carried himself, the things he's doing, he's not playing. I don't I don't understand Kyrie Irving. I'm not going to try to understand Kyrie Irving. Uh, that's not true. I, I've tried, how about this? I have tried to understand Kyrie Irving and I can't. And so it's not a lack of empathy. It's a lack of, dude, I don't know what he's doing. And so uh, for that, I it's, it's a mess. And I want to be very, very clear about this messy big three, Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving. They are not going to win a championship with the Brooklyn Nets. They're not. And I know that I, I'm actually very, very shocked and surprised. I've seen some people say, can you believe it? It's going to happen. And I, oh man, you got an insecure Kevin Durant. You got a head case Kyrie Irving. And James Harden quit on Houston. Now, I know that James Harden wanted out. I When you want out of a team and you're really trying to get yourself traded, you do everything possible. Um, I thought... I don't like making this comparison, but it is. it does remind me of Jamal Adams in, with the Jets. Jamal Adams wanted out of the Jets. He was very comfortable making that very clear. And you got to play dirty sometimes to get out. If you want to force a trade, you got to do whatever it takes to make that happen. So I think some of that was what happened with James Harden. Um, but he also, it's still a weird look. I mean, he came in out of shape. He gave up on his teammates. I don't feel great about what happened with James Harden in Houston. But I'm not going to say it's the end of the world because some of that is just that he, I think, really wanted out and was trying to force a trade. Now, it still doesn't quite feel very good to say, I think that James Harden is the most stable player in that big three. Also kind of weird, we, we've seen, you know, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, and Kevin Durant were all together in OKC, and we've seen all these guys kind of come back together at points in their career. Russ and uh, James Harden didn't work. I don't know how well Kevin Durant and James Harden is going to work. Uh, my really big problem here is egos. I just think the egos, who's going to take the final shot? How are they going to share the ball? 
it's a it's a, gonna be a mess and a nightmare, and I'm really concerned about it. However, it's gonna be really fun to watch. But again, I want to restate the New York, sorry, the, the Brooklyn Nets are not gonna win a championship in the NBA. It's not 2K. Just because they're three great players doesn't mean they're gonna be three great players that work together and have cohesion. And uh, I will say though, despite the fact that I don't know that I, I, I strongly believe it's not gonna win a championship, it's never gonna happen. I do believe that ownership did the right thing for the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, once you realize, hey, Kyrie Irving is a mess. He's falling apart. We don't know. He's MIA. It's weird. And I think the Brooklyn Nets realized we're not going to win a championship. Like, this team isn't going to win a championship in the NBA. So once you realize you're not in contention anymore, then what you got to do is try to make a move to grab attention and be interesting. And I don't, I don't chase the NBA. I wait for the NBA to grab my attention. I'm mostly a football guy, and I, I, but I, I love basketball. But I'm not going to watch meaningless basketball games on a Tuesday in January. Like, oh, come on, g- give me good basketball, and I'll watch. I mean, the other day was it the other day I watched uh, the Ball Brothers. It was like the first time I've really paid attention. I watched a little bit on Christmas, and then I watched the Ball Brothers play each other the other day. I'm like, oh. Lamella Ball is interesting. Like, I feel ashamed that that's the thing that made me interested in the NBA. But hey, I, I'm a sucker for a good story. And I, Lamella Ball versus Lahansa Ball is interesting. And even though they're not going to win a championship, the Brooklyn Nets are now interesting. They're going to be exciting and fun, even if it's awful. Even if they're yelling and screaming and fighting, hey, I'll watch that too. I don't care. I think a lot of people, myself included, are going to be tuned in now to the Nets, and that's good for business. Therefore, that's a great move by the Nets organization. Now, I want to talk about Kevin Durant. Um, The belief is that Kevin Durant left the Golden State Warriors because he wanted credit for winning. He wanted some attention for himself. And in Golden State with the Warriors, Steph Curry is the star player. And KD does not want to be a number two. Plus, he also got a ton of hate for going to Golden State in the first place. People said, you know, you could only win because you got help and you created this crazy super team. You ruined the NBA. Like, I, Kevin Durant got a massive, massive amount of hate for going to the Warriors. And I, look, I, I'm a guy, I feel like I get hated on for a living. It's not very fun to have. I, I have people every single day in my direct messages saying horrible stuff to me. And I, I can't, if that's how my life is, and I'm, I'm nobody. I can't imagine how it is to be Kevin Durant. It's, it's incredibly difficult. But the narrative is right now in Brooklyn that, well, even though James Harden went to Brooklyn to get some credit for winning, you know, and making it happen himself, you realize the narrative is now going to shift to, well, Kevin Durant needed James Harden to win in Brooklyn with the Nets. And that's going to kind of put a kibosh in his whole plan. Like, oh, I think Kevin Durant's been on this quest to get approval. And... I want to start by saying this. I Maybe Kevin Durant is only happy by being the center of the universe. And that's, I think it's pretty clear Kevin Durant wants to be important. When I look at Kevin Durant, he makes me very, very, very sad. Because I think there's more going on. I think this is a guy, Kevin Durant is a guy who seems to be seeking approval. He wants praise and approval from others. And with the Warriors, winning championships wasn't enough. And being a multimillionaire wasn't enough. And having back-to-back finals MVP 
you know, awards was not enough. KD wanted more credit. He wanted more praise. And he wants the credit he feels like he deserves. And that makes me really sad because at the heart of it, when you're seeking approval, you're usually insecure. And as I've grown up and doing this show, go back three years ago, look at my first episode. I think I talked about Michael Jordan and God, what's his name? The, the fighter, Conor McGregor. I compared Conor McGregor to Logan Paul, I believe, or something like that. And <laughs> I mean, I, I have grown up doing this show. I, I'm a completely different person now than it was three years ago or some change whenever I started the show. And as I've grown up, I've really come to admire most the people who are not afraid to be themselves. The people who can own exactly who they are. People with blue hair. Or people who dress a little bit different. Or people who are in their late 20s, early 30s still playing Yu-Gi-Oh! And they're proud of it. They don't care if you're like, Yu-Gi-Oh!'s for nerds or for kids. They, they don't care. Because it makes them happy. And I, 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 I look at that and I really respect people who can own what they love and own who they are. And they don't care. They don't need you to sign off. They don't need your approval or permission. They're like, hey, I'm happy. I'm enjoying my life. If I want to have blue hair or play Yu-Gi-Oh or what I say, dress, you know, however you want, like be who you want to be and be who you are. And people that can own that, I really, really respect because they're enjoying their lives. And here's the big lesson with Kevin Durant. And this is why Kevin Durant makes me very, very sad. He keeps trying to get the media to praise him. All he wants is for people in the media and he wants the narrative to be Kevin Durant the savior. And I, I'm reaching here. I, I don't know that that's exactly what he wants, but I, it appears to me that Kevin Durant wants people to praise him. And he wants the narrative to be about him making stuff happen. And he also makes fake Twitter accounts. Literally, I'm, I'm not kidding. This literally is a thing. He has made fake Twitter accounts to defend himself. And this is a very old story. In case anybody doesn't know that, it's he, it came out years ago. It's, it's way old news by now. But I remember seeing that going like, that's just sad. The grown man, a multimillionaire, NBA superstar, making fake Twitter accounts to defend himself. And it was kind of a big scandal, yada, yada, back then. Um, and he left an amazing setup with the Warriors where he was a two-time back-to-back -back NBA Finals MVP award winner. But he didn't like Steph getting more credit, so he went to Brooklyn to do his own thing and coming off an injury. And the very best lesson I've learned in my time doing strong opinion sports is that no matter what you do or what you say or how you dress or how you act or where you go on vacation or no matter what you do, somebody's not going to like it, especially when you're in the public eye. But even, even if you're not famous or you're not in the public eye, even if it's just your family, someone's not going to like what you're doing. And they might even hate it. They might even be angry. You're like, hey, I, I love having blue hair. And they're just, they hate it. They can't stand it. They can't stand you being yourself. And the best lesson I've learned doing strong opinion sports is you can't please everybody. And you shouldn't try to please everybody. Because as long as you're not hurting anybody, I think you should pursue the things that make you happy. Who needs approval? Who needs a sign-off from a stranger? I don't care what strangers think of me. Nobody should. It doesn't, their opinion doesn't matter. Really, you have to ask yourself, are you happy? And is your family happy? And do the people close to you, do they think you're doing the right stuff? And I, I could be wrong on this, right? I, I'm not trying to be a, a blowhard, a, a mean guy or anything like that. But I, 
the appearance of Kevin Durant is that he spent the recent years of his career chasing the approval of others, chasing he wants the media to like him. He wants people on Twitter to like him. He wants other people to praise him. And he's hoping people are going to like him. And if that's true, if Kevin Durant is making career decisions, doing all kinds of stuff to try to make people like him, it's, it's really sad. Um, I, I'm i not a psychologist. So I don't need to dive deep into that. But, it, I mean, if you're a multimillionaire, you're an NBA champion, you're one of the best, if not the best basketball player in the entire world, and you're still trying to seek approval and get praise from others, it's just it's just a sad story. I don't know how you can't look at Kevin Durant and go, you poor soul. I just feel bad for the guy. I, I just see a guy who seems lost. And I'll tell you what, man, if Kevin Durant can make it work with James Harden and Kyrie Irving, and if he can pull Kyrie Irving together and lead them to a championship, like he deserves praise for sure. But I don't know that the whole quest going after praise, is he doing it for the right reason to begin with? That's my whole question. And as I, as I think about Kyrie Irving, it just makes me very, very sad. It's a grown man who, multimillionaire, NBA champion, finals MVP, still seems to be trying to get permission from other people to be himself and get praise. And that's just weird to me. All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, uh, we'll do some round two divisional NFL playoff predictions. Uh, I hope I wasn't off base. I, I, you know, I, I sit in my office, right? And I, I think about the stuff all day and I, I just had to share. Like, I, I just feel sad for Kevin Durant. And I hope I hope I don't rub anybody the wrong way with that topic. Uh, I, I want to, let me share something. Before we go to break, let me share another story real quick. Tom Brady made me lose respect for Peyton Manning. I grew up with a Peyton Manning poster on the wall and a Tom Brady poster on the wall. I lo- they were both my two favorite players of all time. And... As I grew up and I learned more about stories, I really came to to love Tom Brady more. And I, because of, I had a poster that was like, split, check, flick the booger off your, like split something, flick the booger off your nose, like some, off your finger, like some kind of like, it was, I learned how to throw a football from a poster of Peyton Manning, kind of teaching the three steps throwing a football. And not only did my mechanics suck as a kid, because I was way too over the top. And I had the same problems that, you know, I couldn't drive the ball the same way Peyton Manning couldn't drive the ball because Peyton Manning's mechanics were flawed. And I was always probably a little bit bitter about that. But as we watched Peyton Manning late in his career, physically fall apart. Meanwhile, Tom Brady was doing the TB12 diet and extremely dedicated to not only the mental side of the game, but the physical side of the game, the taking care of his body, the diet, every aspect of football, Tom Brady made sure he had under control. Well, it felt like Peyton Manning was drinking Budweiser and having pizza and probably not taking as good care of his body and not really manipulating his mechanics to take better care of his neck. And this is a, not, not, I don't know if it's quite fair, but I really grew to be more Tom Brady than I was a Peyton Manning fan because Peyton Manning, I just lost respect for the guy that, it's not really fair to say lost respect. Like Peyton Manning's an all-time, he's a Hall of Fame quarterback, he's amazing. But it felt like Tom Brady was even more dedicated on a deeper level. To Not that Peyton Manning wasn't dedicated, but Tom Brady went an extra step further. The TB12 diet, the crazy weird workouts, the stretching, the this and that. It's so much that Drew Brees even copied Tom Brady later on. Drew Brees, I believe, changed some of his habits to stay up on par with Tom Brady. 
Tom Brady set the standard. And as I watched Peyton Manning's career fall apart and kind of divulge and his neck fell apart and his mechanics weren't great and he just never – I mean, Tom Brady looks amazing and Peyton Manning looked uh, like he ate a lot of pizza. I uh, And that's that's not fair. That's rough. But I, I just really came to appreciate – the attention to detail Tom Brady had at every level of football, I think a deeper level than any other quarterback had ever paid attention to football in the NFL. Not just the mental game, not just throwing the football, but also what am I eating? How am I stretching? The body side uh, Tom Brady cared way more deeply about, and that's why Tom Brady's still playing. And part of why Peyton Manning now no longer is playing, and he's watching games and doing his ESPN show, and um, I just have a... I, I really really respect the dedication Tom Brady has off the field to more than just studying the game, but taking care of his body as well. I'm going to take a short break. We'll do NFL predictions when I return. My name is Zach Schaumler. Going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. Uh, new room. Slightly tweaked little look. I think it's going pretty well. Um, it's time for round two of the NFL playoffs. That would be the divisional round of the NFL playoffs and it's a really tough week to make predictions uh, I think if you're a fan of football you're very lucky because what I am predicting is a bunch of really close games that are fun and interesting and exciting we got four games uh, eight really tough really good football teams and I want to start with the Buccaneers at the Saints that's what I got the most to say about I feel like half the video could be Buccaneers Saints that's what I'm that's the game I'm most excited to watch uh, this weekend it's Sunday night football a lot of storylines here. Personally, I am picking the Buccaneers to win this game. Uh, it's cliche, but it's true. I think the Buccaneers are a much different team now than they were earlier in the year. Uh, they have lost to the Saints twice this year, and Brady has five interceptions against New Orleans. Now, they played them week one and week nine. I don't know that it's entirely fair to judge them on uh, week one. Now, week one, I rewatched that game. It was actually closer than I remember. Like, I went, oh, it's actually the, the Buccaneers were in the game. They were hanging around. Um, but in the end, uh, Tampa kind of out of sorts. They had a busted coverage. They had uh, Tom Brady and Mike Evans really were not on the same page. There was an interception where Mike Evans looked like he didn't expect the ball, and he slowed down, and it looked like the wrong route. It's confusing there. Some, some problems. This is a really tough game for Tampa Bay. But first game, new offense, fair enough. Now, week nine... You go, wow, they got crushed. It was like 38-3. to Yes. And I will talk about the problems from that game in a minute. But also I want to remember that it was the first game with Tampa Bay and Antonio Brown. And that's a whole – you finally – you had nine weeks or eight weeks, eight games, I guess, or eight weeks of chemistry building in Tampa. Then you brought in another factor, and I'll be honest, you screwed it all up. You had a whole new wrinkle and more chemistry to learn. And there was a play where Antonio Brown looked like he ran the wrong route. That led to an interception for – uh, the Saints against Tampa Bay. And uh, it was really alarming. Tampa started the game with four three and outs week nine against New Orleans. Uh, then they had an interception on a tip screen pass that led to kind of a devulsion of the offense. And uh, so they devolved and they looked like they were taking more chances, trying to just make something happen late in the game. And uh, the Saints had great coverage downfield. That allowed the defensive line to get pressure on Tom Brady. Not a great game. Week nine. I, I acknowledge like big problems there. And uh, week nine, the Buccaneers also gave up a really easy busted coverage. Like the Saints had a wide open touchdown where you're like, uh, what is our defense doing? And not we, but if you're a Buccaneers fan or Buccaneers player, or looking at your, you're, you're on the sideline going like, what, what was that? I don't understand. And from week nine to now, 
the Buccaneers have grown even more. They, I thought they grew from week one to nine, and then ironically they got killed, but you know, you, you gained chemistry, you added another factor on offense, you fall apart again. The defense has gotten better all year. Um, and the Saints may win this game. My prediction of picking the Buccaneers to win could be wrong. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, Tom Brady is my favorite player of all time. I'm not going to hide my, my bias here, right? I, I am torn. I don't want to pick against Tom Brady. I'm not going to. The Saints may win this game. But what I, I am very confident about, this will be a close game. This is not going to be a blowout. People thinking the Saints are going to blow out Tampa Bay. That's not going to happen. I, I would be shocked and I don't think that's possible based on the progression we've seen from Tampa all year. And uh, I think it's going to be a really fun, exciting game to watch. Now, one matchup that'll be interesting, a matchup's probably the wrong word here, in week nine. Now, part of this is because it was a blowout, but 12 New Orleans Saints players caught a pass against Tampa Bay. 12. They were sharing the wealth like crazy. Now, part of that, again, it's a blowout. You're taking starters out of the game. But even in other games, for the most part, New Orleans, they spread the ball around a lot. They get a lot of people catching the football. And other than that Christmas Day game where Alvin Kamara had six touchdowns and, uh, you know, kind of was the star of that game, normally they share the ball a lot, like very evenly with the New Orleans Saints. And even in that game, like, I know Kamara had six touchdowns, but he was really capping off and finishing drives. Like, they were moving the ball, mostly throwing the football. And so maybe a fun storyline to follow is how many New Orleans Saints players catch a ball on Sunday night against New Orleans. Now, one other thing that might matter, I don't know whether this matters or not, but it's worth asking the question. It feels like Drew Brees' final chance to win a Super Bowl. This is like his last hurrah. He's probably going to retire. He'll be broadcasting for NBC next year. Where Tom Brady does seem like he has another year or two left in the tank after this year. How does that play a part? I don't know. Uh, Is there a, a different sense of urgency with Drew Brees? I don't know. But I want to point out, this feels like Drew Brees' final opportunity to win a Super Bowl, where it feels like just the beginning of Tom Brady stirring up trouble and making stuff happen in Tampa Bay with the Buccaneers. Now, the Rams and Packers, I am picking Green Bay to win. Not very controversial. Uh, The Rams quarterback, Jared Goff, has been struggling a ton. He's got a thumb injury. Even before the thumb injury, he was just looking really not very confident and kind of a mess. And I've said all year, I think Jared Goff hit a plateau where we've seen what he is. We've seen his best play and he's just not improving anymore. Now I'm excited to watch Aaron Rodgers and the Packers offense. And uh, they're going to play a really good LA Rams defense. That's an elite defense an elite offense, an elite quarterback should be very, very fun. However, the matchup to pay attention to is the Packers defense against the L.A. Rams offense, the way the Rams use motion, the way they run the football. Uh, If I were the Packers defensive coordinator, I would be saying, we are going to force Jared Goff to beat us throwing the football. He had struggles before the injury. Then he hurt his thumb on his throwing hand. We're going to, if we're going to lose this game, which we're probably not, (laughs) but if we're going to lose, we're going to lose this game with Jared Goff beating us over the top, vertically, over and over and over again. Make Jared Goff beat you. Do not allow the Rams running game to beat you because that's their strength of their team, especially with an injured quarterback. Um, just keep your eye on that. Now, I also would imagine, and I, I know it's cliche. I, I've been saying cliches a lot in the segment, I guess, but I don't know how you can't imagine LA is going to go from, so on Saturday today, it's 85 degrees in LA, <laughs> 85. It's 32 degrees and snowing in Green Bay. I don't know how you look at 
an L.A. football team going from, I mean, just think about this. Every day you wake up, you're not cold in Los Angeles. You wake up in Wisconsin, if your heat isn't turned up, you're cold when you wake up. You touch the ground, it's a little bit cold. Like, it's a different, you go outside, it's, the, the cold hits different in Wisconsin. I lived in Minnesota as a kid. It's close enough. They share a border. And I, I lived in L.A. briefly. Like, I, I'll tell you what. It's a stark contrast, and I would imagine that this will play a part. The cold, to some degree, like I remember I played a game uh, once. We, we played in uh, central Washington, really cold, bunch of snow there, and their players walked out with, like, no undershirts, like just the, the bellies hanging out, and it's like there's snow and frost on the ground. The, the turf and the ground, so it was grass, but it was like, it was like, it was like running on ice. You, they, you had to have almost metal baseball cleats to get through the grass because it was so icy. And I literally, I and a lot of our players had not one, not two, but three long sleeve shirts trying to stay warm. They're in belly, they were literally wearing no undershirt, pads and their bellies hanging out. I'm like, oh, they're used to the cold. It's different. I think something like that could happen. I know you're gonna, your NFL team are gonna prepare for that, but I, I am, I expect cold to play some kind of factor in this game. Uh, and now another thing to watch, another a big matchup. People are hyping up in this game. Keep your eye on the Rams corner, Jalen Ramsey, guarding the Packers receiver, Devontae Adams. Now, the matchup keeps being hyped up. I keep hearing, like, Jalen Ramsey. Is he going to shut down Devontae Adams? Ooh, ah, ah. You do realize that the Rams defense uh, doesn't really operate that way. They're not going to move Jalen Ramsey back and forth with Devontae Adams. I mean, they will to some degree. He's, like, kind of their strong side corner in zone defense. Like, so if... Devontae Adams on the strong, stronger side, the bigger threat side. They will move Devontae, they will move Jalen Ramsey from right to left, but they do it based on their system. They don't really I, I would be surprised if the Rams compromised their defensive system to match Devontae, to really to try to stop Devontae Adams. I don't think that's gonna happen. And uh, I guess maybe the question is will the Rams break protocol and do something you haven't done all year and have Jalen Ramsey shadow Devontae Adams? I don't think so. Uh, but it'll be fun to see, and we'll find out. Now, the Browns at the Kansas City Chiefs. You guys know I love Cleveland. I love the Browns. Uh, I like Baker Mayfield. I root for Cleveland. I'm excited they won a playoff game. It's amazing, and I think it's over. <laughs> I, I hate saying that. I don't like saying that. Uh, but I fear that Kansas City is going to win this game and win big by a lot. I hope I'm wrong. I think part of the factor here is that I think Kansas City's defense actually doesn't get enough credit. They're still the same defense that won a Super Bowl last year. They play some really good football. Um, Steve Spagnuolo has great you know, design. I Tyron Matthews there. Like I, I don't know why we forget. I, I know why. We forget because of Patrick Mahomes, but Kansas City's defense can still play. They're still a very good defense. And then when it comes down to it, I believe that the Chiefs' offense and Patrick Mahomes can pull away at the end of the game when it matters most. Uh, if the Browns win this game, if the Browns want to win this game, they're going to have to score a ton of points. It's going to the Browns if they win they're going to win like 48 to 46 or 49 to 45. It's going to be you have to outscore Patrick Mahomes and you got to sacrifice you got to do different stuff. And I, I want to see the Browns play the kind of game where they're they're going forward on fourth down. They're calling risky trick plays. They got to go balls to the wall, put everything on the line, pedal to the metal, make it happen. I, I want to see the Browns risk it. I don't want to see the Browns play conservative. You can't play conservative and beat Kansas City. The did anybody watch that Raiders game? When the Raiders beat Kansas City, they played their best football and they went for it on fourth down. They had touchdowns, not field goals. They took risks. They played great football and they allowed Kansas City. They needed to rely on Kansas City to make a mistake or two. I think it's 
I love Mahomes. He is prone to a mistake. Remember, they had that sack a couple weeks ago where he took this massive, like, 40-yard sack. Patrick Mahomes, if you give him enough, enough rope, he will screw up and make you know, make some kind of mistake. So the Browns can win this game, but they got to be go for it on fourth down. They need touchdowns, not field goals. They need to play their best game they've played all year, and they need to, frankly, rely on the Chiefs to make some kind of mistake at some point in this game and capitalize on that. They got to have points off turnovers. Uh, now, an interesting storyline in this game, the Browns running back, Kareem Hunt, one of them, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, they're the two running backs in Cleveland. He was cut by Kansas City. And he's going to be looking to make his old team understand what they're missing out on by cutting him. I, I, I would love to see Kareem Hunt have a ton of yards. And remember, he had a personal issue off the field and I Sounds like he's really grown from it. Uh, I believe he talked to the NFL rookies. Like He really has done a lot of work, I believe, in his personal life to um, move forward from what happened. Um, and I, I shouldn't even I shouldn't even said that. I don't want to have him do it. But I, I would be fascinated to see whether or not Kareem Hunt has a huge day against his former team. Now, the Ravens and the Buffalo Bills. I'm confident the Bills are going to win. Ah, confidence is the wrong word. Yeah, no, no. I, okay. I believe the Bills are going to win this football game, and it comes down to their offense. Their offense has more polish. I trust them more. you got Stephon Diggs, you got Josh Allen, but you also have Cole Beasley. And if I had to ask you which offense can put up more points, or if, if one team, Buffalo or the Ravens, which team, if I told you, hey, it was a blowout, one of the teams won by 40 points. Would you think Buffalo or the Ravens? I, I would think Buffalo. I think Buffalo has... A more potent, more polished offense. They put up 48 on Denver. They put up 38 on the Patriots. They put up 56 on Miami. That's their final three games of the year. Uh, 27 on the Colts, who have really good defense last week. And uh, they were rolling the first half last week. I I think Josh Allen, I I like him. But I will say, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, two third-year quarterbacks. They're coming off their first ever playoff win each. And uh, both teams are very good. This is going to be a hard-fought, close game. I think the edge goes to Buffalo. They got a better offense. Uh, I think they're sharper. I think that I love Lamar. I thought Lamar, especially in the red zone last week, was not as sharp as he could have been. However, I'm picking Buffalo to win. The X factor in this game, the thing that could put this game all on its head and ruin everybody's predictions and ruin any kind of line or whatever's going on. Lamar Jackson's ability to run the football. He turns a sack into a touchdown last week against Tennessee. He can make plays like that where... Sometimes you just got to go, I, there's, no, there's nothing to stop that. If Lamar Jackson has an amazing day running the football, that, that's, I, he could throw the ball well, but I think if, if Lamar wants to win, he's going to have to have a couple amazing plays running the football against the Buffalo Bills. And uh, that could screw up my prediction. He's very dangerous running the football, but I'm picking the Bills to win over the Baltimore Ravens. All right, guys, that's all I have. That is my week. Um, or so what am I, what am I, What do you call it? The NFL divisional round of the playoffs predictions. Guys, thank you so much. I love you. I appreciate you. Very short episode. Was it short? I don't know. My timer says 52 minutes. It'll probably be because I I leave the camera running when I go, you know, drink water and take a little break or whatever. So it'll be shorter than that. But I I love you. I appreciate you. My plan is to watch the two football games today and then record. So expect another episode Sunday morning about Saturday's games. Love you. Appreciate you. Hope you have a great day. Ba-dum-bum. Bam. We are done.